If you are new here, we love having new people amongst us. You are so, so very welcome. And if you've been here for years and years, of course, you are so welcome as well. So we finished our series on our values. I hope you've, you've, it's, it's reinforced what you already believed. It's strengthened you. And you can go back to them at any time. They're on the, on the website. Just go and have a little listen. It will do you good to remind yourselves what our values are here at Grace Church. But this morning, um, the talk is t- called, titled, Devoted to Jesus. So it's not a risky subject, is it? You're in church. I'm guessing you're all nodding. None of you are actually nodding, but I think you are internally, right? I want to be more devoted to Jesus. And um, a few weeks ago, I spoke on mission, one of our values, and one of our core values. And in preparing for that, I read a quote from John Piper, and it says this. You probably won't remember it because it's a little part. I mean, maybe you do. But anyway, here's the quote. You can only commend what you cherish. And the phrase that I read however long ago has really stuck with me. But it goes much deeper and much further than just our commitment to mission. What we cherish really matters because you find out what you're about, the things you cherish. It affects our decisions, it affects our actions, it affects our devotion. And... uh, You and I know this, but we're faced with lots of challenges. I guess it's always been true in society, but we are faced with challenges. Challenges of extremely busy lives, loads and loads of distractions. I've said it before about the phone. You know, I've just got a new phone, and uh, it took me 24 hours to sort it out, and I still didn't sort it out. Johnny Holder, who works with me, he did it in about 10 minutes. But anyway, that's another story. But what I'm saying is... There are lots of distractions in our lives. You would know this. We live in a culture that is about the individual. We can easily become consumerist, even in church life. And so I want to draw us back to what really matters, what is really important. What stops you and I from getting sucked into mediocrity, just ticking over? We can just go through the motions. It is what it is. I'm here, aren't I? You might be thinking, all of us have a danger of falling into mediocrity in our lives. And that is because of all the distractions around us to take away, take us away from our devotion to Jesus, our cherishing of Jesus. And I think for most of us, or maybe all of us in this room, our desire is that we will be more devoted to Jesus, more passionate for him, Cherish Jesus more and more. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for more than a couple of hours, you know life is not that simple. It's not always so straightforward. There are lots of ups and downs in our lives. And being devoted to Jesus takes on many... Well, being devoted, sorry, takes on many forms. And uh, I'd just like to throw out a story so you just get a little bit more of a picture of my life and my world. won't take long. When I was a teenager just a few decades ago... I was fascinated, that was a joke by the way, just so you know, but I was fascinated with, you know that little instrument, the mouth organ or the harmonica, I thought that's the thing, I was like about 15 I reckon, I thought how cool would that be, you know, to be at a party and just pull out this mouth organ, I thought the girls are going to love it, (laughs) I wasn't a Christian just so you know, but 
So I badgered my mum, buy me a mouth organ, buy me a mouth organ. And uh, I thought, I'm doing well with this. It's actually a, ch- you know, a tune going out. And I was committed to this. I wouldn't say devoted, but I was committed to it for a little while. Short-term application in those days, I was pretty good at. And I realised quite soon, really, that this learning of the mouth organ was going to take a bit of time and a bit of effort and a bit of brain power. Anyway, the football season started quite soon after that and I thought, nah, I'm done with that. I'm putting the mouth organ aside. I'm sure it wouldn't have helped with the girls anyway. But anyway, another story. And then, strangely enough, I think it was about a year or so ago, Christmas came, so it would either be 10 month, 11 months ago or 23 months ago, but I can't remember which one. What one? A couple of years ago, Jenny bought me for Christmas a mouth organ, <laughs> which was remarkable. And uh, that went the same route as when I was a teenager. So I'm not pulling the mouth organ out today to entertain you. Boo, yeah. <laughs> I'm just pointing out that devotion can wane. That's probably the point of this silly little story. And, uh, you know, when I was a Christ- became a Christian, my mum, she said, you won't stick at it. It'd be like all the other fads you've ever done. You aren't going to make it. Well, she was wrong on that point, right? I'm still here however many years later. And Jesus completes what he started, right? We know that. But it can be like that in our Christian life sometimes. Enthusiasm can wane. Our journey can wane. Jesus, you know, back in that day, think back to when you first became a Christian. I'm all in, Jesus. What do you want me to do? I'll be a missionary. I'll go almost anywhere. I'm all in for you. We can start out with great intention and promise. And then there comes a time following Jesus that maybe it becomes like there's times when it costs to follow Jesus. Maybe we have a hard time at work. Maybe there's some issues with family who don't understand you and not on the same page. Maybe we lose some friends even. Maybe at work or in another place, there's a measure of compromise that comes into our life. And we can lose our edge and we can lose our passion for Jesus. And maybe that has happened for you. There's a season, you're in a season where it is hard work, you're You're pushing through, but it's hard work. And then maybe we can think, well, perhaps this is it. This is the Christian life. I'm going to keep going. I'll plod on. I'll keep going because this is the right thing to do. Well done this morning for being here, obviously. This is the right thing to do. Let's go to church because it matters and it's the right thing. It's good for the kids. And these are all true, by the way. It keeps me on the straight and narrow it's that it gives me a moral compass for my life. Let's read a story from the Bible. It's a well-known story. And uh, Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. So I'll, I'll read it. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, 
that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a great story. This, ter- this story tells us in our Christian life, there is so much more. Of course, there's times, day after day, we're, we're moving forward. It's a step of faith, and that's right, but there's more. Maybe there's days where if I'm not really feeling it, but I'm pressing on because that's the call of God, and that's what he wants us to do. But if those days pile up upon themselves, it's just going through the motions. It can be tough. If you're going through a season like that, it can be tough. And if it goes on longer than that, it gets even tougher. The story of this woman reminds me, and hopefully you, that there can be profound times of passion and devotion and adoration towards Jesus. But if you've been a Christian, as I said at the beginning, even for a little while, you know that we have struggles. There are seasons of struggles. And the story here, one of the reasons is to remind us there can be so much more for you and me. Simon invites Jesus to this dinner party. Let's get into the text. And this, this inviting him in was a, inviting Jesus in was a public affair. There would have been a festive mood. The invited guests, I read up a little bit on this, the invited guests, it's not like us, we have a dinner party and there's 12 of us sat nicely, everything's set out, the knives and forks are arranged properly, the right way round and all that. They would have been lying down on sort of like a settee sort of thing. The table is really low. And they're leaning on this couch couch, on their left arm and eating with their right. That's how it worked. And their legs out a little bit. Not how we eat dinner, right? But that's what they did in those days. They would be reclining, getting ready, enjoying. And also, not only are these people... Simon's invited Jesus and his other pals to come and have a meal. But there'd also be a crowd that would come and observe. Imagine that. You invited round for dinner, you and you are coming, but you lot can stand and watch us eat. Maybe, I don't know, but I've thought about this and I've not watched this programme, but maybe it's like an ancient version of Gogglebox. Something like that's going on. But when we read this story, we can think, oh yeah, Simon, he's wrong, isn't he? He's the one, he's exposed for who he really is. And the downtrodden woman finds favour with Jesus. And that's what this story is about. But I think also, 
This is an awkward story, a difficult story. And why is it a difficult story? Because of the comparison and responses of Simon and the woman. But it's also an awkward story. Simon the Pharisee has invited Jesus for a meal, presumably with his fellow religious friends, to work out this bloke Jesus. What's he all about? Perhaps the aim was to trip him up. The crowd are in. They're chilling out. Their arms rested on their left-hand side. They're eating their, eating their food and all that's what's going on. And then in walks this woman. A prostitute. It says she's a sinner, which means, in this term, means she was a prostitute. Everyone in the room, all the observers, would have recognised and known her occupation. This is an awkward situation. Now, we read, if you've read your Bible, some of your Bible, a little bit of your Bible, you've listened to more than six preachers here, you would recognise and know that the Pharisees generally don't come out too well in the pages of the Bible. Jesus called them a brood of vipers. He called them foolish. He challenged them constantly on their outward expressions as opposed to the condition of their heart. I'll just read a couple of verses um, which emphasise this point. 11, Luke eleven thirty nine to 44. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you, you, sorry, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practised the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respect greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk all over without knowing it. The Pharisees, as I said, had a bad press, and rightfully so in many ways. But what you couldn't say, they were, not, they were a devoted people. You couldn't label them, well, they're not devoted, they don't care. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law competed with one another in terms of adhering to the rules. They made God's law into 613 rules, 248 commands, 365 prohibitions. Aren't you glad they're not printed on a wall out there somewhere for you to do? To avoid sexual temptation, they had a practice of lowering their heads and not even looking at a woman. The most devoted and devout of these were called bleeding Pharisees. So that's not a little cockney term, by the way, for a little swear word, just to be clear. They were called that because of their frequent collisions with walls and obstacles. I mean, we're talking about devotion this morning. That's pretty devoted. And as we read this story, what are you thinking? Yeah, Simon, he's, he's the wrong one. He's the bad one. He gets all that he deserves. Except... When I read these verses, I think, how would I react? What's my response? And so the prostitute lady walks in and Simon says nothing. And it's awkward. Has Jesus, noticed, has Jesus not noticed this woman? 
He should know all about her. If he's a prophet, he should know everything about her. That's what Simon thinks. Jesus, you're not who you, should, who you think you are. You don't even know what type of woman this is. If he were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner who's touching him. So this woman comes in weeping and crying all over the place. She's totally over, overcome with emotion. She's in a male-dominated environment, but she's full of passion for Jesus. She's also full of courage to come into that environment, that hostile environment, where everyone or lots of people know her occupation, but she wants to get to Jesus. She's full of courage. She turns up as if Jesus is the only one in the room. How do you feel when some things are a bit out of the ordinary happen? Someone else is overcome with devotion to Jesus. That's a little bit over the top. What are they doing lying on their face? What are they doing kneeling? Wow, the dancing is very extravagant. What do we think? I know I can be prone to have an opinion because I like it done my way and you might be the same. Let me ask you a question. Who are you most like, this woman or Simon? Do you have moments in your life, I'm sure you do, when you think, Jesus, you're amazing. You are more than enough. I'm overwhelmed with your love. There is no one like you. And of course, there are times in our lives where our devotion to Jesus is based more on effort. But there's more. And that's the point of this morning. There's more to come for us in our devotion of Jesus. And we can learn stuff from this woman. Help us in our devotion of him. And here's another question from this text. What kind of Jesus does she know that Simon doesn't? Because they have very different responses. Now the woman, as I said earlier, had a title, sinner. And Simon says she is a sinner. And that's not in the same way that we've all sinned and even Simon sinned. This is a blatant lifestyle sin, meaning she is a prostitute. And what Simon is really saying is, well, I'm a lot better than her. She might do, I might do a few little sins, but she's on a completely different level. By her standard, I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. In fact, I'm a pretty decent guy, really. Clearly better than this woman. In other words, there's something good in me. There's something that's worthwhile in me before God. And we might not start that way, but it can creep in. You can whittle away your need for a saviour. Simon met the rules. There's something worthwhile in me. I'm meeting, the, I'm meeting the standard, all those rules. I'm largely getting them right. I can sort of see why God chose me. Pride welling up. And sometimes stuff can creep into our lives. And we wonder, where has that passion gone? I was once really passionate about Jesus. And we can maybe invent pecking orders. Well, it's okay, because it looks like I'm doing better than that half of the room, or that half of the room, or that person. There's so much more that God has got for us. Perhaps you were devoted to Jesus, and other stuff has been added in, layer after layer, maybe busyness and stuff like that, but maybe... You're doing stuff and you think, yeah, that makes, I, I'm doing okay. I'm relying on myself rather than what Jesus has done. 
And then Jesus says this, verse 41 to 43 in, the, in those verses. I'll read them out to you. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. 500 denarii is the equivalent of around 18 months' salary. And so 50 denarii, and we've we've worked out that I don't do too well at maths. Anyway, 50 denarii is seven weeks' salary. Work that out if you chose to. Simon understands the question about who is forgiven much and gave a bit of a begrudging answer. Well, I suppose the one who he forgave more. This woman, she knew that she had been forgiven much. She was a 500 denarii woman. The woman knew who she was, what category she was in, where she belonged. And it's like there are two columns. You know, think of your in and out and your bank statements, perhaps. Lost and found, alive or dead, saved and unsaved. She knew what column she sat in. She was lost. She was dead before God. This doesn't mean for her and for us that we walk around going, well, that means I'm rubbish, I'm a nightmare, I'm a train wreck. No, I walk around with a heart of gratitude towards Jesus and gratefulness because I'm now righteous because of what Jesus has done. I'm forgiven. We never graduate from the gospel. We never move on and go, right, I've ticked that box. I'll now go on to some bigger, deeper theological issues. We always come back to the gospel, what Jesus has done. We need to recognise the magnitude of our sin, recognise our brokenness, recognise our separation from God, and recognise the immensity of God's lavish grace over your life and mine. The woman offered this extravagant display because she knew the depths of, the, of her forgiveness. She had been rejected. She was an outcast. But she knew about Jesus. She knew this was the place to come bring devotion to him. And failure to grasp the depth of our sin and what that means in terms of our separation before God. And fail, when we fail that, we, we lose sight of the depth of God's love towards you and I. And it can mean we do perhaps the minimum or what we need to get by. Well, I'm doing enough. I should still get into heaven when I die type attitude. It can lead us to get annoyed about things, upset about things, maybe too quickly. If we don't understand the depth of where we've come from and keep that as a reality in our heads, we can lose peace in uncertain times. Money worries overtake us. Health issues are a big problem. Family stuff. And I'm not saying they're not issues and things. Of course they are. But when we're devoted to Jesus, they find their right place in our lives. They find the the place which is below Jesus. And look what happens next in the story. Jesus changes his position. And I, I just really like that little bit where he turns to the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He changes position. He pivots and turns to the woman and speaks to Simon. 
He's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. Here comes the comparison, verses 44 to 46. And he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, right, we'll stop there, sorry. Washing of the feet in those days was important. The feet were, were ceremonially unclean. Not having them washed because they were dusty and dirty because they wore sandals was, was a dishonouring thing. That's what Simon didn't do. He dishonoured Jesus, his guest. And those sort of things are normally done by, by a servant. Simon dishonoured Jesus by not doing this. He gave no greeting. It would have been customary to anoint your guests with oil, put some oil on their head, something along those lines. Cheap oil, but anoint them. He did none of that. Now look at the passion and devotion of this woman. Her tears are the cleaning fluid for Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet clean with her hair. And when I read this story, you know, you can read through it, brush through it, and to have enough tears to wipe someone's feet you've got to be sobbing. It's not a few little tears. You are sobbing to wipe his feet clean. And she'd let her hair down, and this was illegal in those days as well. She she didn't care. She was pushing in to Jesus. There's an abandonment. There's a humility. I don't care what people think. She kissed his feet. She poured expensive perfume over his feet. The contrast with Simon and the dishonouring, and this woman with her abandonment, extravagance towards Jesus. Simon invites Jesus in to the meal on his terms. He's in charge. He's setting the terms. The woman embraces Jesus with complete abandonment. Do you invite Jesus into your journey? Or do you say, Jesus, I'm on your journey, whatever that looks like in my life. I'm following you. I'm devoted to you. Are we about his glory and his fame? And as I said at the beginning, I'm sure that's where we all want to be going. I know I do. It's important for us to recognise that I and you, I'm a 500 denarii person, but so are you. I once read somewhere that, you know, we, there's... You know, you could read this and think there's a scale of sin. And the murderer is right up there, the 500. And you, who became a Christian at six years of age, well, you're the 50. No, not at all. Every one of us are completely indebted before God. And therefore, when we are forgiven, we're forgiven everything. You and I are 500 in this story, denarii people. When we're forgiven and we recognise how much we're forgiven... We can love Jesus so much. We can come with such devotion. And the key to this woman's passion and devotion is she knew. She knew she was a nightmare, that she was a broken woman. She was broken and totally needed forgiveness. And when she received that forgiveness, there's this, devo- there's this explosion of devotion and gratitude. She pours the perfume over Jesus' feet. 
and that perfume was a key to her business. It was what made her acceptable to any paying customers, as it were. She had no more need of it. She's poured it over Jesus' feet. She was very grateful, very forgiven. She knew where she had come from, a 500 denarii person. But Simon also was a 500 denarii fella. But he just didn't see it. He thought, I'm good enough. He was in debt, but he didn't get it. This woman was done with her old life, evidenced by the outpouring of this perfume over Jesus' feet. She had heard of the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. I did nothing to be put right. He chose me. I'm all in. I'm, and it's like a statement, God, my livelihood is now over to you, what you want me to do. You're going to determine my future. You're going to determine my heart. You're going to determine my generosity. You, God, are my all in all. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And peace means go in wholeness, completeness. Jesus said, her great love, the extravagant act, reveals the depth of her forgiveness. You can see the correlation. She understood the depth of her debt and it resulted in extravagant devotion and worship. And today, the question to you is, do you grasp the depth of the forgiveness of God over your life, the the gravity and the depth of the debt that's paid by Jesus? And maybe today, you don't know Jesus and you've never experienced that forgiveness. Well, Today, you can. You can come to Jesus and know him for yourself. Are we making much of Jesus? Are we making Jesus great enough? And the answer is yes and no, probably, for you. I know it is for me. Yes, I I do, but I want to do more. There's more of devotion that I can bring to Jesus. We can never really quite make enough of Jesus because there's always so much more. All of eternity will be filled knowing his goodness, his majesty, his beauty, his mercy, his grace. It's inexhaustible over our lives. And and this is a story of a woman in a very specific situation. It's in the pages of scripture. Coming to a meal, pouring out a devotion to Jesus. And I want to translate that to your life and, and absolutely to my life. This woman's experience... Can that be similar for us? Is this just a story that's so far out of touch for you and me? It may seem pulled apart from your everyday experience, my everyday humdrum life of perhaps commuting, school run, traffic chaos between eight and nine or whatever it might be, all the household chores, all the things that have to be done, all the busyness of your lives. But even in these moments... We can encounter Jesus. We can bring our devotion to him. We can know his presence. Thank you, Jesus. You've forgiven me. I was so in debt. I was separated from you. You've made me alive. Thank you, Jesus, for the many good gifts you've given to me. Thank you for my job, for my family, whatever I am. I'm going to express my gratitude to Jesus in the, in the humdrum of my life. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you, God, that you have a plan for my life. This 
may look and probably does look very different to the events at Simon the Pharisee's house. But here's a question. Do you know and do I know the Jesus that this woman knew? And I think that is the question. That is the point. If so, it will lead us to this sort of devotion. The type that says, like this woman, I'm all in. Now, we might not have those oil-pouring moments from an alabaster jar every day, but I believe that we should experience them. We should experience those intense moments. Jesus, I'm lost in wonder. I'm devoted to you. Can I ask the the band to come up? And we're going to... And we've got 15 minutes or so, and I'd love us to come and worship Jesus. And it's an opportunity, right, to, to, to go, God, I've drifted a bit. I'm coming right back to you. I am devoted to you, and I want to experience that. I want to come. Now, I'm not suggesting there be loads of people sobbing and stuff like that, but if you do, that's also fine. We want to come and adore Jesus. He is so worthy of our praise. Can I encourage you to have the same posture as this woman? Come to him again, recognising how much you've been forgiven. Come again and again with a heart of gratefulness and gratitude towards Jesus. Can I get you to stand? I want to pray. Jesus, we are in awe of you. Lord, you, you know our hearts. Lord, deliver us from... All the, all the stuff around us, all the distractions, all the things that clamour for our attention. Lord, deliver us from just going through the motions. We want to come and adore you. Lord, we want this time of redevoting ourselves to you, that we might be men and women who are devoted to you and experience you in the same way that this woman was overwhelmed with you, Jesus. So come upon us, Holy Spirit, that we might worship you. Let's lift our voices. Uh, Toby and the band are going to lead us. We're going to worship him. Come and do business with God. If it's gone a bit dry, come and just tell him. In a moment, in a moment, we can come back to him and run towards him and be devoted to him again and again. His grace is towards us. His love and his kindness is towards us. We're 500 denarii people. Let's come and worship Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's our saviour. Thank you, Lord.